All right. Uh, Will, you've got me, my voice registering. Yes, sir. Let's open our Bibles and go to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 16. The title of our teaching this evening is God Wants to Do Wonders Through You. Mark chapter 16, beginning with verse number 15. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. But he that doesn't believe shall be damned. These signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick. They shall recover. So then after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat at the right hand of God. They went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. The Lord wants to do wonders through you. Let's pray. Almighty God, for just a few moments... As I minister your word to your people, I pray that you give us all ears to hear. May this message be life transforming. May it be a word that stimulates and incites passion. Put a flame of fire over every head. And as we minister your word, Father, we pray that this region would never be the same again. In Jesus' name, amen. Anyone familiar with the scripture knows that from cover to cover in this Bible, God is talking to his people. In the Garden of Eden, he spoke to Adam and Eve about their duties and responsibilities. He spoke to Noah about the building of an ark, which he did to the saving of his soul. Generations later, he talked to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob informing them that because of the covenant that he made with Abraham, he would be with them to bless them. Who would have even thought that out of a burning bush, God would meet with a man in the desert and tell him, I want you to go back to where you fled. And I want you to bring the children of Israel, my folks, out of Egypt. Moses heard the Lord speaking to him. and He turned And made his way back to Egypt and brought forth one of the greatest deliverances mentioned in this book. God even spoke to a little kid one time, called his name several times in the middle of the night. And finally the priest told him, next time you hear that voice, you say, speak, Lord, your servant hears. And Samuel, as a child, came to know the voice of the Lord and people knew that he was established to be a prophet. But the one thing you learn from reading about all of these conversations that God has with people is that at some point there's a terminal point, a termination, dialogue, because you actually have to do what God has told you to do. He's not going to just talk just to be talking, and God doesn't just run his mouth just to run his mouth. He expects obedience to the command that comes to you, comes to me. And when God speaks, he expects there to be some kind of a positive response 
from his people. Now the word makes it very plain that that is exactly what he received from the disciples. They obeyed his word and because of that, look at how the church of Jesus Christ is flourishing around the world. All kinds of empires and leaders tried to suppress the church, stop the church, but we're still worshiping God and praising him. It says that while he was speaking with him, one of the great miracles of the Bible occurred. He's standing on the Mount of Olives. The disciples are around him. He's telling each one of them, look, don't leave Jerusalem until you've been endued with power. Just stay here. Just wait a little while. The promise of the Spirit will come. And as Jesus speaks with them, according to the book of Acts chapter 1, suddenly his feet begin to levitate. And Jesus starts going up into the sky. I know they were startled by what they saw. This man had done all kinds of miracles. He had walked on water. He had multiplied loaves of bread and fishes. Even one time... He survived an attack when he escaped from the presence of the people and they couldn't even lay a hand on him. But nobody had ever seen a man in physical form start ascending up into the sky. And the last thing he told them was, you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And a cloud took him out of their sight. And they stared into the skies And an angel spoke to them and said, why are you gazing up into the heavens? The same Jesus you saw go up will be the same Jesus that's going to come back one day. Well, that Christ descended to heaven and according to verse 19, sat on the right hand of God. That's a temporary position for him. It's a temporary placement. Because Revelation chapter 3 verse 21 in talking to the church at Laodicea, Jesus said to any of you that overcome, I will grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I'm seated in my father's throne. So presently we're in the midst of a time of transition. Jesus is seated in his father's throne. One day all enemies will be made his footstool and he'll sit down in his throne. But presently, our role is to occupy. What is it that we're supposed to do? Well, the scripture says in Ephesians 1 and in 2 that we're seated in heavenly places. Far above all principalities and powers. The scripture says in Ephesians 5 and 2, we're supposed to walk in love. No matter the challenge, no matter the obstacle, to be forgiving, to walk in love. And then at the end of Ephesians in chapter 6, it tells us that we should stand. You've done everything you know to do. Keep on standing. Now Watchman Nee in that great book that he wrote many years ago on That epistle to the Ephesians called Sit, Walk, Stand, he walks Christians through that whole process of what it means to be enthroned in Christ and to have power to reign in this life. And he explains what we should do as Christians that are walking in love, resisting the power of the devil. And here was a man that was a preacher in the underground church of China who lost his life when he was you know, somewhere in his 60s or so, because he loved the Lord and he refused to allow the communist government to stop him from serving God. We're supposed to sit 
in Christ. We're supposed to walk in love and in the spirit. We're supposed to resist the devil. And we can do this because Jesus is at the right hand of God. To know that he's alive means everything. So on the basis of that, verse 20 says, they all went forth and preached everywhere. Now, God is the only one that knows where everywhere is. There's not a person in here that knows where everywhere is, but he knows. But wherever someone goes, they are to proclaim the message that Jesus Christ is alive today. They are to let people know that we're witnesses of the fact that a man that lived without sin, died for sin, came up out of the grave and justified us so that we could be free from the power of sin. He did that. And in all places, they scattered going to tell this message. They weren't afraid. They weren't intimidated by the region or the district or the territory. Let me tell you the story briefly of Ezekiel. Chapter 37, he had a vision. The hand of the Lord came upon him. The Bible says, carried him off and placed him in a valley filled with dry bones. He looked around, there were bones everywhere, folks, just scattered, disconnected. Scripture says they were dry bones. I mean, there's no muscle tissue, there's no sinew, no tendons, nothing attached at all. But this man is looking at that, that valley of just Hundreds and hundreds and thousands of bones. And the Lord said to him, Ezekiel, these bones live. When has any man or woman ever seen a bone living on its own? Who has ever seen a bone breathing, a bone moving on its own? He was smart enough to say, Lord, you know. God told that man, said, I want you to speak to the bones. I want you to prophesy to the winds and you tell them to hear the word of the Lord. And that's exactly what he did. He opened up his mouth in the middle of that dry valley. He said, hear the word of the Lord. And suddenly there's a shaking in the valley. Here comes bones coming back together. Bodies being formed, muscle tissue coming together, knees, arms, everything. And God said to him, this represents the children of Israel. And here these bones became a mighty army. Because one man opened up his mouth and declared God's word. How many people are there in this world today so intimidated by the valley that they live in that they refuse to speak the word? They don't believe the word is powerful enough to change the environment where they live. I hear it all the time talking with people. They say, well, you don't understand. I was raised in this state. I was raised in this county. This is a terrible place to try to do church. You can't break through. God won't help you. God won't do anything. You need to hear what Ezekiel said. Hear the word of the Lord. And the bones come together. See, we preach the gospel. We proclaim the truth. We leave the results to God. It said here they went everywhere and preached the Lord working with them and confirming the word. Where did he work with them? Everywhere that they went. Where did he confirm the word? Everywhere that they preached it. There is no place on this earth so difficult that God can't move. They went everywhere. Still works today. I promise you, as we're in this facility this evening, somewhere in the depths of an ocean or a sea, 
There's a crew down in a submarine. And there's somebody reading the Bible or witnessing to a fellow sailor. I guarantee you, as we sit here right now overhead, there are planes going back and forth, whether it's somebody in the Air Force or just somebody on the airlines. And there's somebody going overseas or going to another state and they're reading the Bible and thinking the thoughts of God. Witnessing to the person next to them. They went everywhere. Somebody riding a bus in the big city right now or somebody sitting down to supper right now. They're talking about God, thinking about the things of the Lord. They went everywhere. But over and over again, it doesn't matter if someone is in the bottom of the sea or someone is up at a space station far above this earth. I can promise you the word of the Lord works there. It doesn't matter if there's gravity or not. And somebody could sit there in the Bible, could just be floating and spinning around. But if they can read and declare the word of the Lord, somebody can come to know God even on the moon. It's just a matter of trust in the word. So it says he confirmed the word with signs. Well, in verse 15, Notice Jesus says, go ye. Now, ye is an old English word for you that's in the plural form. You don't always get it with the word you because that can be singular or plural. But here he, we know he's talking about all of them. He's not just saying a few of you. He's not just saying a handful of you. He's not even saying most of you. He's saying all of you go into the world. Now, according to our government, there are 195 nations in the world. According to the U.N., there are 251. We know there are at least 7,000 languages spoken on planet Earth today that they have recorded. That's not to mention the number of languages that are now extinct. There are at least 100 uncontacted peoples or minimally contacted peoples that live maybe in the jungles of Papua New Guinea or in the Amazon basin. But there are still peoples out here that have not been reached. I told you recently about a friend of mine. He told me about some folks right on the Kenya Ethiopian border. He said, Brother Daryl, no one has ever taken the gospel to them. They still don't even wear clothing. They've never heard the name Jesus, never heard of Muhammad, never heard of Jehovah's Witnesses, never heard of any kind of religion at all. He said, Would you please help me go to preach Jesus to these people? We're going to try to help send them. I think when Jesus said go into all the world, he knew exactly what he was talking about. He knew that that meant you had to cross borders and deal with different kinds of people into all the world. He said to his disciples, you're going to have to come in contact with languages you don't know. You're going to cross borders and enter into cultures that you don't quite understand. Some of what they believe might be repulsive to you, but you still have to go with the message to tell them about the gospel into all the world, folks. I've been to more places where I've forgotten where I've been than I can still, in comparison with all the places that I've been where I can remember, I've forgotten more places I've gone to. So many cities I've passed through, so many people that have come across my path that I've met, but the cultures are different. 
Somebody's got to reach these people. I've told you about the folks in West Africa who, for one of their favorite drinks, they'll take a cow, take some kind of a razor or a knife and poke that cow's neck right on that vein. Then that blood comes spurting out. They'll catch it in a little leathern kind of a vessel. Then they'll take that blood and then they'll mingle that with a little bit of that cow's milk or goat's milk. Then that stuff will start to curdle and they'll add a little bit of the cow urine with that. And then they'll shake that up. It'll become almost like a milkshake, a delicacy for these folks in that part of West Africa. But do you realize God wants somebody to go and preach to them? Take the country of Benin, West Africa. They call it the cradle of voodoo and witchcraft. It's their belief over there. That's where witchcraft and voodoo began. But somebody has to go over there and continue to preach and hold salvation meetings so that they'll come to know Christ. Think of all the little kids that are holed up today watching videos of somebody who exploded themselves so they could kill some Jewish people or other Westerners. And somebody's teaching them how to hate people in the West. And one day, some little kid will be 9, 10, maybe 14 or 15, and they'll hear from that Islamic imam, today is your day to become a martyr for Allah. And here's where you're to go. That little kid to get up, recite his prayers in Arabic, put his blue or green bandana on, put that bomb vest on, say his prayers again, write a little letter to his mom. Dad, I'm so glad I got to die in the path of Allah. I'll see you when we get to heaven. He'll go to some bus stop, standing out there, not even just standing by himself, sometimes mingling in with the other young people or talking to adults. How was your weekend? All of that. Go through all of that. But at some point, they get on that bus. And when that, when that bus is rolling through Israel, he'll stand up and he'll shout in Arabic, God is greater. And then before anybody can say, what? What's going on? There's a ball of fire. There's an explosion. That bus jumps up five or six feet in the air. They're bone fragments, blood going everywhere as people are horrified and innocent bystanders are not now dead and people standing around looking to see what's going on as they're calling for the ambulance and the medical workers and a half mile away on the top of a building is somebody with a video cam recording it all to show it to the next kid. Jesus said, these are the people that need to hear the gospel too. See, sometimes we don't understand why people read a verse like this, then leave home to go live amongst people that are so different than we are. It's because Jesus told those disciples, go into all the world, and had they not gone, we wouldn't know it ourselves right now. They sacrificed. To tell somebody about the king. And Jesus said preach the gospel. What's the gospel? The good news of Jesus Christ. That he came into this world. He lived without sin. Jesus came. Bore our griefs. Our sorrows. Our sicknesses. Our disease. On the cross. He died for you. He died for me. So what? You're healed. He bore your sorrows, your your infirmities, your depressions. What's the result of that? You don't have to be depressed anymore. 
The scripture says in Isaiah 53, him being numbered with the transgressors so that we, he could divide the plenty or the prosperity with those amongst us. What does that mean? I don't have to live in poverty and believe for poverty. I can expect a God to supply my needs, not according to my riches, but according to his. The riches of his grace, you see. Preach the gospel. To the people. That's the strategy. The methods may change. But the message is the same. No doubt about it. The Apostle Paul would have loved to have been able to pick up the telephone and preach to all of his people on that phone. He would have loved to have been able to send an email to somebody around the world. and Let them know the methods change. But not the message when I lived in Turkey, we did the march for Jesus through the streets. Didn't have a whole lot of Christians in Turkey anyway, but all of them gathered together in Istanbul for that. So they'd be, you know, a couple of hundred, maybe. That's a good estimation. But we just walked through the streets holding banners and didn't say a whole lot. But then we'd start singing. And, of course, as we were marching through town, the Muslims would line the road and yell and curse and scream and sometimes throw things. But what were we doing? Advertising our faith in Jesus Christ. Around this world, there are people that show the Jesus film. They've got it in a lot of different languages. Tells the story of Christ. Sometimes the people will take it to areas where they don't speak the language, but they'll set it up and they'll call the villagers together. Play the Jesus film and let the people watch the film. And then afterwards, somebody who knows the language invites them one by one. To come to Christ. See? The methods are different, but the message is the same. Sometimes you go door to door. Some of you remember many years ago when we first started here. One of the things we did was we went out and went and knocked on doors all over this town. Let people know we're here to preach the gospel, to tell folks about the king. See? The methods are different, but the message is still the same. And the Lord said, preach the gospel to every creature. That's the message they need to hear. We don't need to modify it. To go overseas and feed the poor and clothe the naked and visit those that are in prison without preaching the gospel is a good humanitarian effort. But it's not missionary activity. But missions activity that is apart from the proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ is nothing but good deeds and good works. You can find the Red Cross. They'll do all of that. Never share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Totally forgot their heritage. They have. You can find the Red Crescent amongst the Muslims. They'll do the exact same thing. They'll bring food. They'll bring clothing, temporary shelter. But they're not bringing the gospel. You find those who have the sign of the red crystal because they don't want to have a crescent for Islam or a cross for Christianity. So the Buddhists and the Hindus have the red crystal and they'll come and bring food supplies and boxes of clothing. but They won't bring any gospel. Jesus said, preach the gospel to every creature. And as you proclaim it, when somebody believes, baptize them in water. I like that. I I absolutely love that. That means get them in that water, immerse them, 
Get them down and bring them up before the bubble. Stop coming up. Don't wait until they've gone through a nine-week membership class and some preachers taught them how to backslide. So get them in that water as soon as you can. You believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? Come on, let's head for the river and let's bring you down and up. No sense in waiting. It's an outward witness to an inward work that was done by the power of the Holy Spirit. Back in the 70s, when Chuck Smith was pioneering the Calvary Chapel movement, they would be out there along that ocean baptizing thousands of people they were leading to Christ. Hippies and drug addicts were coming to know the Lord, and out there along that ocean, they'd go out there, and he and his elders would wade out there in that water and just start putting them down, putting them under. Multitudes came to know God. Well, it was a good witness because hundreds of people that were already out there on the beach enjoying themselves and surfing and suntanning and all of that. They'd see those baptisms. They'd come over there and say, what are you folks doing? Now all the people in the church standing on the outside that are just clapping and applauding the ones being baptized can now turn in witness to the inquisitive ones. And tell them about the Lord. And before you know it, the people who only came to the beach to come surfing ended up coming to know the Lord. And before the end of the day, they were being baptized in the water. No wonder that man had a church of 30,000 people back in the 70s. Four and five services a day because he simply preached the gospel. Then he baptized them. When we would find that folks had come to faith in the underground church in Saudi Arabia, we then would have someone go into the bathroom and fill up the bathtub. Then after we finished in the living room with the service, we'd all crowd around the door face of that bathroom, and we'd have the baptizees sit down in the tub, and then one of us, there were elders in the underground church, would then just lay that person back in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Bring them up. And then we'd all quietly sing. Couldn't sing too loud. Didn't want to draw attention from the Muslim neighbors that would hear us and turn us in. But folks all over this earth, there are people that realize that God can use anybody. God doesn't just have to have an ordained preacher to put somebody in that water. God just needs somebody that's willing to find a lake, find a pond, find a river, find an ocean, find a pool somewhere where believers can gather together and they say, I can give evident witness that he's alive and he's alive in me. And in traveling to preach that message, the scripture says in verse 20, the Lord worked with them to confirm the word with signs following. Now what signs? It's mentioned here in verse 17. These signs, these particular signs, These very special signs shall follow those that believe. It doesn't say those that are apostles, those that are evangelists. It doesn't say those that are males or those that are females, those who believe. You take the time to trust God. He can do wonders through you. If you can have confidence in God, he can do wonders through you. We've already told you the geographical location doesn't matter. Fair County is not a difficult place. If God can find believers here that trust him, here is what he can do in my name. 
They'll cast out devils. Well, it's true, folks. All across the book of Acts, you'll find the power of God being manifested. And certainly in the Gospels, Jesus was bringing liberty to the captives. They brought somebody to him one time who was full of the devil. He said, how long has he been like this? They said, since he was a baby, since he was a child. That means that even a child can become a doorway to evil. They're not preserved and protected. The devil entered that child, and the scripture says that devil was trying to cause him to commit suicide. He was in and out of throwing himself in the fire, trying to burn himself to death. Jesus said, and come out of him. The man, that young man was made whole. Folks, I'm telling you, what Jesus did, he told his disciples, I desire for you to do. And it's not just for you. It's for anybody that believes in my name, they'll cast out devils. Well, there's hardly a six month period around here where I don't have somebody calling me on the telephone saying, can we please bring our child or a spouse or somebody to you and have you pray for them? We think they're full of the devil. It's hardly a bit of time that passes. And through the years, I've had people show up here, pull up in the parking lot, call over to the house there. And they'll say, Pastor, are you there? We're over in the parking lot. Could you please come and pray for us? We've just driven from such and such town. Happens in Red Cloud. Somehow they find out our phone number. Before I know it, there's somebody said, we just drove from such and such state. Could you please come down here and pray for our child. Well, folks, I'm telling you, the power of God is real. The anointing of God is real. And in the name of Jesus, the captives can be set free. Preaching out there in that Redwood National Forest one time, we were having a good time up under that tent. God was saving souls. People were being filled with the Holy Spirit. People were being ignited for God. Folks, we were doing business for the kingdom. I'm telling you that. And it was a wonderful move out there in the middle of that forest. And they told me, they said, now, Daryl, you got to understand, we're just a half mile or so from the highway. There are a lot of homeless people come back and forth in this part of California. So if anybody comes knock on your trailer in the middle of the night, please don't answer the door. They'll even use kids to come knock on that trailer door. And as soon as you open it, they all rush in and rob you and assault you. I said, well, I, I hear what you said. So once we finished up with that tent deal, they walked me back through that forest, pitch black, dark out there, got to where I was. Once I got in, I locked the door. I just decided this is where I'm going to be with the Lord. Pull my Bible out, read it, go to sleep, have all the lights out. But I listen and I hear a voice, preacher, preacher, can you help us? Can you help us? I remember what the host had told me. I never did get up and open up that door. Certainly didn't turn any light on at all to let anybody know where I was at in that camper. I just simply laid there. Well, I went back to sleep next morning. I went to the tent where they were serving all the food and everything smelled so good. Oh, my goodness. I sat down at that table with all them people, and, and they said, how did you sleep? I said, I slept soundly, wasn't, wasn't hard at all. I said, how about you guys? They said, we didn't sleep too much around here. I said, what happened? They said, you didn't hear all the ruckus? I said, no, I didn't hear 
anything at all. They said, well, one of the teenagers that was here in the uh, meeting fell down on all fours, started foaming at the mouth and was thrashing and everything like that. Eyes rolled back up in the head. The kids were screaming and yelling, hadn't seen anything like this before. We sent one of the little kids over to your trailer to ask you to come. I said, I said, I did hear somebody out there saying, preacher, come help us. I said, well, I didn't come. They said, well, obviously. I said, well, what did you do? They said, we called for brother so-and-so. It was a friend of mine in his 80s. And he went over there and stood right there in the middle of that crowd with that young man on all fours, barking, screaming, cussing, foaming at the mouth, and said, in the name of Jesus, come out of him. In the name of Jesus, come out of him. And they said that for about five or six minutes. But they said the first time they spoke that, it was like somebody shot him and he just fell to the ground. God started healing him. And here he was seated there with me at the table. And I would have never even knew he was full of the devil 12 hours before. Jesus said, in my name, you'll cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. All of this is confirmation of Isaiah, where he said, with stammering lips and other tongues will I give them that language. The day of Pentecost, 120 or so people were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak. And you'll notice the phrase here, it said, they shall, notice the pronoun, they shall speak. God the Holy Ghost isn't prying anybody's lips open. But he comes in as a fountain and begins to fill that vessel. Then before you know it, here comes a new language. New language. I was crying out to God because them little girls, when I was 13, I became a Christian. Those little 12-year-old girls were witnessing to me, telling me, boy, you need to get filled with the Holy Ghost. I said, well, I don't even know what to do. They said, go in your closet and pray. I went in my closet. That's all I knew to do. I closed the door, sat there with my suit jackets and all of that stuff hanging there and clothes and stuff. And I just sat there in the dark. I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what to do. Nobody taught me. They just said, you need to pray and be filled. Well, nothing happened other than the fact that my oldest brother found me in the closet praying to be filled with some spirit. So he thought I was part of a cult and they started persecuting me, hiding my Bible from me. But sometime later, Man from Haiti laid his hands on him. He said, have you been filled with the Holy Spirit? I said, oh, man, I've been wanting that so bad. I want God to touch me. He said, well, I can lay hands on you in just a few moments. You'll be speaking with other tongues. I said, really? I said, what do I need to do? He said, you just lift your hands, begin to tell Jesus you love him. Don't focus on the language, focus on God. And he said, as you do it, the power of God will come on you. And when he does, just submit, just yield He'll begin to speak. I said, man, get your hands on me. He put his hands on me. And just like he said, in a few moments, I began to speak in that heavenly divine language. Jesus said, they shall speak with new tongues. It's not something they could create. It's not something a Palestinian man could come up with. Something divine, something special, something anointed. And all across this earth, if you look at what God's been doing the last 40 or 50 years, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit has the spirit-filled church becoming the largest thing on this planet. 
Yeah, back in the 80s when Brother Swaggart was holding, holding the Holy Spirit rallies all across South America, the Pope had somebody on the airplane every other month down there trying to hold on to them Catholics because they were getting saved by the boatloads and getting filled with the Holy Spirit. And they were leaving that church so they could come over into truth. But you look at the Christian broadcasting networks in this planet today, owned by spirit-filled people. Because spirit-filled people are the ones willing to step out in faith and try what is seemingly impossible. They're willing to go to territories and areas where it seems like there's nothing but death and dry bones. But because of the power of God in them, they look at that and they can see the potential of the army that can be raised up by God. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. Well, in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 28, it tells about Paul. That man needed some firewood. Some folks were a little bit cold. He reached out there, grabbed one of them logs, and there's a snake in the middle of that. Reached out, latched on to him. All of a sudden, those folks thought this man must be a murderer. If that snake is attached to him, injecting that venom in He's a bad man because misfortune doesn't come to somebody unless they're bad. And so it's just a few moments before he's going to die. Just watch his respiratory issues are going to flare up here pretty soon. So they just stared at Paul and they watched. Paul shook the snake off and just kept doing what he was doing. Didn't worry about it at all. Then after a few moments, it says in Acts chapter 28, they changed their minds. And they said, this man is not a murderer. He's a God. Oh, my goodness. He's a God. They said, we need to worship this man. He's special. But that man, Paul, was on that island and he realized that there's a power in him that's greater than the venom in that serpent. Now, he wasn't trying to tempt fate, certainly wasn't trying to tempt God. And we need to understand that there may be occasions in a believer's life when they're going about doing the will of God where something terrible can accidentally occur. And there's not always... Somebody going to be able to find a hospital or a doctor and serpents and snakes you can find everywhere. I recall being amongst the Maasai people that time preaching to them. They took me to the clinic. They said, we want you to see what the local clinic is like. They took me to the clinic. There was a hut that was no bigger than this little area right here. And there's a man out there sitting in front of that hut. And I'm telling you, I had more medicine at home in our medicine cabinet than he had for the village right there. Here was the man that was supposed to help people that were sick. Do you realize that Jesus gave the disciples power to trample on serpents, he said. That means if you're going to go, don't be afraid of what's out there. That's what he's saying. Don't be afraid of what's out there because what's out there isn't always good, but you still have to go and preach the gospel. Now You can go to the south and find in Alabama, Tennessee, some of these Appalachian mountains, some of these folks that have aquariums in their churches and they got people that they think are getting filled with the spirit and they'll grab one of them venomous snakes and go to dancing around the sanctuary with that. I'm telling you, that stuff is demonic. You just stay away from that. That doesn't have anything to do with God. Certainly has nothing to do with the Bible. I don't care how they try to say it does. God hadn't called anybody to pick up a snake and dance with it. The last time that kind of stuff happened when people wanted to have that kind of discourse or relationship, look how it turned out in the garden. 
That's not the plan of God for us to be involved like that. So don't ever buy into that kind of foolishness. Even if I were to go into a church like that, and I haven't, and it's doubtful that I will, but if I ever visited a church and didn't realize it, and they had an aquarium up there, and I saw snakes and stuff, and somebody got up and started dancing, I could promise you I'd make the nearest door and the closest wall. And I'd head right on out. There's no way on this planet I want to be involved with that. But Jesus said, these signs shall follow them that believe. He said, if they drink any deadly thing, it won't hurt them. Now, has that ever occurred in the Bible? Yes. Second Kings, Elisha, who's following after Elijah. He's in a little town and they came to him. They said, man of God. The water in this town is terrible. People are dying everywhere. Would you please do something to help us? Man of God said, bring me a new cruise. That's a little vessel that holds a substance in it. They brought him that cruise. He said, put a little salt inside of that. The prophet walked over to the source where the water came from, the spring there. He poured it in and he prophesied, henceforth, these waters are healed. Nobody's going to die anymore. Nobody did die anymore. Death stopped because the man of God was right there in the middle of it. Well, if it says if, that means it's a possibility it doesn't have to happen. Don't try to tempt God by drinking deadly things. Don't do that. I've eaten and drank things that I'm telling you, I drank when I was in my 20s and 30s that I probably never drink or eat now. There have been a lot of places on this earth where I've been where it just hadn't been nice at all with the things I've had to drink. And who, who would have ever thought 25 or 30 years ago that Americans would be going to the grocery store just to buy bottled water? But look at how much water is consumed. See? Now We've got good water out here, praise the Lord. We're right on top of the aquifer. But there are a whole lot of places in this world where folks are dying every day because that water is so dirty. Yeah, and all they have to depend on is Mark 16, 18. God, you're going to preserve me. God, you're going to keep me. Because they don't have wells that are clean. They certainly don't have any purification systems in some of these places. One time, Tiffany and I were taking a, a train from Cairo, Egypt, to Alexandria. And we were coming along that Nile River. Now, that Nile River you would think would be pretty and beautiful, but it's, it's not. It's like a glowing green color when we were there some years ago. But I'll never forget those little kids, six and seven years of age, just having the time of their life out there splashing in the water. And I'm like, wow, just, huh. you know, they don't know anything else. You know, they, they're just having the time of their life. Then keep riding on that train, go up a little bit further. Then you see some other moms and dads, or I should say the moms from the villages. They're all out there, and, and they're, they're washing all the clothes in that water uh, further up the stream. Just washing, and I mean, they're getting it all clean. They got rocks out there and whatever kind of soap that they use. They're working on that. Keep riding on that train, go further up. And then you see all the cattle. The farmer got all the cattle out there in the middle of the river. I mean, they're out there doing everything you can possibly think to cool off. And yet downstream, that's where the kids are bathing. And this is the river that so many of the children have to come and get the water, walking mile after mile to bring water back to their little hut for their families to use, to eat, and to drink. Folks, I'm telling you, Jesus knew 
You drink any deadly thing, it won't hurt you. There were a whole lot of people that lived in a world and in places where they had to have faith in God to keep them. Bacteria, everything else. Yeah. But then he says, they'll lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. These things at the end of your arms are not just for physical, manual labor, not just for hugs and embraces, but these hands at the end of your arms are ministry tools. These are to be placed on people to bless and to believe God that he'll make folks whole. When someone's talking to you and weeping and telling you all about the troubles and problems, it's not enough to just say, let me call the people and get a prayer chain going. Why don't you get your hands on them right now and pray for them right now? Say, come on, let's pray right here. Because when you do that, you're fulfilling the commission that Jesus gave to the disciples. And let's never forget, it said, these signs shall follow them that believe, not those that call the preacher. And not those that call their fellow saints, but those who believe. If you're a believer, expect God to do this. These are merely signs of his presence. Now, there's been plenty of times in my life where the presence of God has been so real, so strong, where I've just wondered, oh, my Lord, what will you do next in the middle of this meeting, you see, because of the reality of who he is. Wherever two or three are gathered, Jesus is right in the midst of it. I told you about that meeting in that Redwood National Forest, but in that same location, in that same area, I should say, but under a different tent, I was preaching one time. And oh, I'm telling you, God, God was moving. Those people under that tent were being filled with the Holy Spirit. Healings were taking place. Somebody had come up to me afterwards and said, oh my goodness, Brother Darrell, strangest thing. We're sitting out here watching you doing the service as you work in the altar, praying and ministering to people. And we saw somebody look like they were dressed in a long white flowing robe, just walking beside you as you were praying for people. Well, I didn't think too much about that. But then sometime later, I came back, and a friend of mine said, I want you to come over to our Bible school, talk to the students. I said, okay. I came over there to the, the place and spoke to his students a little bit. Then afterwards, he kept me there. He said, I want you to see this. He said, this is the strangest thing we've ever seen. He said, we've had this tent for 30 years, using it, had a lot of meetings on it, but never seen anything like this. He stuck it in that little player, hit play, and so I'm watching as I'm preaching, and I see myself walking back and forth. I'm laying hands on people. Folks are stretched out, got their hands up, crying out, and all of that. And then, and then right there in that tent, the back of that tent, looked like somebody had sewn or stitched it in there where there was like a cross and the face and the upper body of the Lord, and he had his hands out like that. He said, man, that thing is not ever been in this tent. I've had this tent for 30 years and nobody sold that in there. Nobody stitched it in there. But there it is. Again, signs of his presence. See, to Let people know he's real. To let people know he's God. And, and we have to understand we don't serve a God this week. We don't serve a God that's abandoned us. We serve a God that knows where we are this evening. And he's right here in this place. You don't have an illness that's greater than him. You don't have an emptiness or void in your life that can't be filled up by the mighty power 
of his Holy Ghost. You don't have an oppression or a bondage or addiction or anything that's greater than the name of Jesus. There's just something about people worshiping God that ushers in the presence of the Lord. So why don't we take a few moments and do that? We'll ask Mr. Will, get us a song that he can play and whatever you're trusting God for, if this is your night, you're wanting the mighty king to baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire. You let God do that. Better yet, Will, we got Sister Phyllis here. How about she play something? Anything appropriate you feel on your heart. And then we can worship and praise the king. If you've got illness or something in your body, we want to lay hands on you. We want to anoint you with oil. We want to ask Jesus to touch you physically and to minister to you. But let's stand. Let's stand. If you're here tonight and you're wanting God to fill you with the Holy Ghost, we want to pray with you and for you. But I'll just give you a couple of steps right now, real simple. Just right there where you are, if you're on God, to baptize you with the Holy Ghost. And all you've got to do is just lift them hands and in your worship to God, say, God, fill this cup, O Lord. And when the mighty power of God comes, you yield to the presence of the Lord and begin to speak as the Holy Ghost gives you utterance. If you've got pain in your body or weakness or illness, simply ask God tonight to heal you and to touch you. But if you're wanting special prayer and you're wanting to be anointed with oil, we'll anoint you with oil. But let's take, the, take our time right now and just begin to lift our hands and worship God. Father, we praise you. We thank you. Come on, everybody. Let's create a garden of praise in here. We honor you tonight, Lord. Father, you're worthy of the praise. You're a wonderful God. Thank you, oh God. We bless you, Lord. Jesus, we worship you, we praise you, God. Thank you that you're our Savior, you're our baptizer, our healer, our soon-coming King. We love you this evening, God. We worship you this evening, Lord. Thank you, Father God. We worship you, Lord, and praise you. Oh, yes, oh God. Oh, He is Lord. He from the dead and he is Lord every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord let's make it personal you're my Lord you're my Lord, you're my Lord, you have risen from the dead, and you're my Lord, every knee shall bow, every tongue. 
Folks, I told you earlier in that message that these hands are ministry tools, ministry tools, and God expects us to use them for his glory, and in doing so, he wants to do wonders through us. So as she plays, I just want you to repeat after me in this prayer, Heavenly Father, use these hands in divine service when I lay them upon people let blessings come upon them now folks I want you to reach out there to the person closest to you I want you to lay your hands on their back or their shoulder and I want you to just begin to pray and I want you to begin to bless them in the name of the Lord Heavenly Father You know every need that our brothers and sisters have in the sanctuary. If there's a physical need, God, we pray against this infirmity and we say be free in the name of Jesus. Every boy, every girl, every man or woman desiring to be baptized with your Holy Ghost, let it be so now, God. As we lay hands. Oh God, in the name of Jesus, as our hands are placed upon these people, we're expecting blessing, God. Oh God, we worship you, Lord. We praise you, God, for touching us, Lord. Oh God. We praise you, Jesus. And praise your glorious name, oh God. You're worthy. Folks, don't get tired. Just worship, enjoy his presence. He's wonderful. He's lovely. He's here to bless and meet every need. And now I know he touched me. Beneath the load of guilt and shame, then the hand of Jesus touched me, and now I am no longer the same. He touched me. God, we honor you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you, Father. Isn't it good to know a Savior? Good to have a Savior? 
someone that loves us, someone that cares, someone that never leaves us nor forsakes us, but cares about us so very much. Thank you, Almighty God. I don't know about you, but I'm encouraged in the Lord. Oh, yes, yes, encouraged in the Lord. God has called you to be warriors, and God wants to do great things through you. Don't ever let that devil keep you from fulfilling the commission of God in your life. God hadn't called us to be depressed. He's called us to be on top. He hadn't called us to be sad and sorrowful. He's called us to be believers. And he works with us. Amen. Oh, my goodness. Father, be with all your people, Lord, throughout this week. Father, I pray great testimonies come out of the lives of those here. Let their county be turned upside down. Lord, let people say, what in the world is wrong with them crazy people over there at King of Kings? Oh, God, give us a harvest of souls. And we pray for all of those that are absent tonight that you would be with them and bring them back. In the mighty name of the Lord Jesus, and everyone said, Amen, Amen, Amen. Praise.